Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. We're going to jump right in this morning. You know who I hate? Hate might be a little strong, but you know who I have a hard time not hating? People who hurt or mistreat my family. I'll say this with all honesty, that we have been fortunate and cared for, that it has really had nothing that was really super extreme, but you know what I'm talking about, like an unkind word at school, an unfair teacher, a coach that kept playing their son instead of me, even though I was obviously the better choice, so my dad wasn't particularly pleased with the clear favoritism that was taking place. Um, There's a little bit of irony there. But I come by it honestly. Uh, Next Sunday, we are having our five for five Sunday. And part of the group that will be sharing with us is my mom. Now, if you've ever met my parents, they are amazing, they're sweet, they're kind, and they're uh, like that all the time, except when the cubs are hurt. That's when mama bear comes out. I'm pretty sure I've told this story before, but it's one of those memories, memories that kind of sits vividly in my thoughts. You know those ones I'm talking about. There was this girl who was bullying Jessica in elementary school and it finally came to the light. And the biggest problem for this little bully was not that the school found out, it was that my mom found out. So it was after church on a Sunday, perfect place for it. Mom saw the girl in the foyer and went straight over and said very, very sternly, you will not bully my daughter anymore. Well, this girl, of course, she breaks into tears and you might think my mom might be a little sheepish that she is crying in public. Nope, mama bear is out. And then the father of the girl then came over and got into my mom's face and and did my mom back down? Nope. And things, they did end up cooling down, but let's just say that that girl was cleansed of the need to bully in the future. Now, I know this to be true That if you hurt one of the Charles kids, there is no point in trying to be extra nice, offering gifts or money, singing songs or praying nice prayers to make it seem like you didn't mean it in the eyes of my mom. But the reverse of that is also true. I I always knew that the best way for someone to get in my mom's good books is to treat us well. The most honoring thing that they could do for my mom actually had nothing to do with my mom. The most honoring thing that you could do is to love on or show honor or show respect or do something for us kids. Now we are wrapping up a series today called Somebody to Love. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? But here's the thing um, that when I think about this question, which is the greatest commandment? It's not a bad one. But in many ways, it's like it's simply saying, what exactly must I do to make things right and keep things right between God and me? And and that's a good question initially, but not a very good question eventually. Because eventually, in our relationship with God, we have to move beyond what's in it for me. As Christians, we believe that when we place our faith in Jesus, we experience freedom in God and peace with God. So, to spend the rest of our days 
trying to make God happy. I wonder if we missed out on understanding what God's love really is. Throughout the New Testament, we are invited to love people the way our Heavenly Father loves us. And it's why Paul could quote what Jesus said when when Jesus said that the entire law is fulfilled. The entire law, all 630-something commands, all 10 big commandments, the entire law is fulfilled. Now, church, this is where I want you to pay attention. I, I believe that this represents a greater departure from so much of our thinking than we are aware of. There's a way in which we have been configured to live in our world today. Lines like, um, you get what you deserve. You, You make your own luck. Look out for number one. These run prevalent simply because we are led to believe that the greatest fulfillment in life comes when we are placing ourselves first. And with that thinking, we then come into contact with Christianity and the Bible. And whether we realize it or not, we take that same mindset and we apply it to our faith. We take a look at the Bible and we see different commands and uh, rules and rituals. And we make a decision. Well, if I follow the Bible, then I will get what I deserve. I will get the most out of life. I will make my own luck. And pretty soon... Our approach to our faith is just a version of what our selfish nature wants us to think. I would actually contend that religious thinking, living simply uh, to try and follow rules and rituals to get right with God, is from the same line of thinking as general culture. It has the same focus. Me. This thinking wants to find loopholes. How do I get as close to the sin without actually ticking God off? Because ultimately, it's all about me getting what I want without losing God's blessing and God's faith, right? So what happens? Well, rules and rituals, they become escape clauses from inward reflection and repentance, which in turn actually produces hypocrisy in our lives. And this is why some people, they won't, they won't go to church because they, they've met too many Christians and, they, and Christians sometimes they can talk a good talk. They can get all dressed up. They can go, go somewhere on a Sunday, but then you watch them during the week and somehow it all doesn't fit together and somehow it doesn't bother them at all how they treat other people. And then they show up on Sunday at church and they're, they're excited. They're raising their hands. They're praising and they want you to go to their church and you're thinking, I treat people better than you do and you call yourself a Christian. Uh, they're not sure if it's making much of a difference in your life. And our lives are reflections of a faith that is a subtle form of self-centered religion rather than Jesus. But the Jesus model is centered on the you beside you. And if you take that one idea and you use it as the filter through which you read the New Testament, it will become alive to you in a new way. Because throughout the New Testament, We are invited to love people the way our Heavenly Father loves them. Jesus says, this is my commandment. In John chapter 13, he says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's why the Apostle Paul could get by with saying that the only thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And, and you might be saying, like, look how much is in this book. But Paul is saying in Galatians 5 that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And 
in practicality, there's a disparity between the religious model and the Jesus model and how that comes about in our lives in different ways. So I want to illustrate a couple of those that kind of pop to my mind right away. Uh, number one, do you know why you should tell the truth? Well, because it's in the Bible. And that shall not lie. So we should tell the truth because the Bible says don't lie. So we shouldn't lie because God says don't lie. And if we don't, we don't want to get in God's bad book. So even though, yes, it might be true in the Bible, I... Don't know if that's the line of thinking we should be going down. Why should we tell the truth? Well, a religious mindset says that you tell the truth because the text, the Bible says so. But the Jesus model says you tell the truth because when you lie, you hurt the person you lie to. The Jesus model says the reason you don't lie is because when you lie, you are covering yourself at someone else's expense. When, when you lie, you are saying to the person you lied to, you are not worthy of the truth. That whatever is best for you is secondary to what's actually best for me. And the reason God said in the Bible, don't lie, is because God is concerned about all people. He's concerned about you, but he's also concerned about the relationships that you have. We will be tempted to lie. And a religious mindset says, I'm going to tell the truth so God will love me. But a Jesus mindset says, no, I, I know I am loved. And from that love, truth is born because that love is leading me. Let's try another one. Do you know why you are supposed to be generous? Well, it's in the Bible, right? If I give God a dollar, God will give me 10 bucks. Is that it? Are we supposed to give? Because if we give, then God will be giving to us because God will bless us because something about cheerful givers in there and God likes it when we are generous and then we give. And so if we want God to like us, we should probably give. No, I think it's way more simple than that. Why are we supposed to be generous as, generous as followers of Jesus? Because when you are generous, it helps the person you are generous to. Let's try one more. Do you know why you shouldn't talk bad about someone? Is it because it's in the Bible? Don't gossip, no malicious talk, so you shouldn't gossip because the Bible says you shouldn't and because it says all those things about it? No! That's religious thinking that is me-centered thinking that I'm just going to follow a rule. The reason you don't gossip is because it hurts someone else. The reason that you don't gossip, the reason why it is not a good thing to do is that it undermines the integrity of that individual in other people's minds. The reason you shouldn't gossip is when you gossip, you elevate yourself at someone else's expense. That's why you shouldn't gossip. Sometimes. I think that we overcomplicate the manner in which we treat the Bible and, and our relationship with God. I think it can be so twisted sometimes because we actually create more confusion for ourselves by trying to live out our lives with the Bible as, as a rule book. And if I follow the rules, then God will be happy with me. And, and here's the thing, Jesus di didn't die and rise again so that we could be bound by rules and fear of getting it wrong. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. And so he states so clearly that the singular command of love is the one that should be all over our lives. 
And if we are simply trying to live our lives to follow rules, then then we won't find much fulfillment or satisfaction. But if we understand that the prompts of the Scriptures, the wisdom that it provides, is not simply rules to follow so we get in the good books with God, but opportunities to live life to the fullest, to to live with the love that we've been given, and then everything changes. Then telling the truth is not simply about not lying, it's about choosing to love. Then being generous is not simply about not not being stingy or hoarding, it's about choosing to love. Then speaking well of others is not about not gossiping, it is choosing to love. It is understanding the opportunity we have every day, in every moment, to transform the lives of those around us through simply choosing to love. And even if it wasn't in the B-I-B-L-E, You should not gossip because you are smart enough to know that gossip hurts other people. And you cannot love your neighbor as yourself and gossip and lie and be stingy. Sometimes I think God is in heaven. He's like, really? Do you need me to give you a specific verse for the specific situation for the specific moment that you're in? I've given you a whole book of examples of what it looks like to actually love one another. And I've given you the great command to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you really need me to speak directly to the very specific thing about the thing that you're doing, the thing that you're thinking in the specific moment? When you know what's good for you and you know what's good for another person. Because here's the bottom line. The New Testament is full of examples. Sure, God didn't give us an example for everything, but he gave us plenty. But God didn't need to give us an example for everything. The the New Testament imperatives, the the commands of good things we should do in our life are, are simply examples of how to demonstrate your love for God by loving others. In fact, this was a game changer in the first century. Jesus said the entire Old Testament that all the laws and all the prophets hung hung on, on these two ideas: love God and love your neighbor. The entire Old Testament. These examples in the text, these are not there simply for your benefit, although you will benefit from them. They're not there for God's benefit, though it is good to glorify God, but God is fine. They are there for the benefit of those that are in your life and that you and I have been called to love. They are there for the sake of others, just like Jesus came for others. They are there to show us what it means to love and live and follow the way of Jesus. Now, since you're watching online, I need you to pay attention. If you're on Amazon or somewhere else, I need you to come back to me for a moment. Come back to my browser, okay? Get me front and center. I need you to hear this. Sometimes I think when we hear this kind of teaching, I understand where your mind would go. Okay, so Jason, like, you're kind of dumbing down Christianity. You're kind of throwing out the details. You don't know the whole story. This is just like a big love fest. We're all just going to get along, love one another, be a bunch of Christian hippies. Or you might be thinking this is like some kind of Christian sentimentality where we don't have to take the Bible seriously. No, this is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is actually this. The Jesus model is less complicated, but far more demanding. Don't forget that at the center of the Christian faith is a man that those knew best believed he was actually the Son of God. 
At the center of all of his teaching is a man who died covered in his own blood and the saliva of other men. This was a man who was at his end. That's what this model looks like. That is how far it goes. That is what this requires. The Jesus model is less complicated but far more demanding. Because it's easy to hide in a religious approach to Christianity, to be honest. It's easy to find rules that we agree with and rituals we're comfortable with and consistently adhere to them and and, uh, impose them on others to follow them as well. But it's hard to really start to do what the command says. When Jesus boils it down to love God and love others and love, love as you love yourself, it changes everything. Paul repeats it over and over. It's hard to handle. Philippians 2.5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. It's hard to find a loophole in that prompt. It's hard to find a loophole when it says, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. I don't know if, that's a, if that can be any more clear. It's really hard to find a loophole to be merciful. How merciful? Just as your Father is merciful. There are no shortcuts. There are no workarounds. This is the Jesus model. And let's be honest, in most cases... I think we intuitively know the answer to this question. What does love require of me? This is the essence of following Jesus, asking this question. And again, if you think that this is a simple or easy or watered down approach, you just have to remember that when your heavenly father answered this question, it cost him his son. What does love require? When Jesus answered this question, it cost him his life. What does love require? And then he said to you and he said to me, follow me. What does love require of me? All of me. Sacrifice. To put down my selfish desires, to shift my selfish mindsets, to go beyond what is comfortable. In the first century, when the early church met, they they, they had no structure. They had no New Testaments. There were rich masters and there were poor people. There really wasn't a middle class. There were slave owners and there were slaves and everyone was coexisting and and part of this this burgeoning movement. And then they would go gather together and they'd get these kids off the street and feed them and the church would come together and all they had was the teachings of Jesus that had been passed on, the words that they had gathered and the moments that they had shared and all they had were these scraps and fragments and these declarations that they had gathered in their time with Jesus, but they knew this before Jesus left. He said, if you forget everything else, I say, love one another. The hallmark of my followers is their extraordinary love for one another. Imagine a world where people were critical of us because of what we believed, but envious of us because of how we treated one another and the people outside of our circles. That was the mark of those people. That was the mark of that early church. That was their experience for that first 300 years. I think in many ways that's why Christianity survives the 300 years. It's dramatically different. It's opposed to culture. That is what we've been called to do, and I believe it could happen again. Now maybe you're feeling a bit confused and you're saying, this all sounds great and all, but it seems to be all about people and you've left out God. Fair. I, I, I know that you know there's lots of stuff about glorifying God in the Bible and that's important and I think it's a good question. Um, and I think Jesus answers it. And what I'm going to read to you next, I hope it has an impact on you in the same way that I think it had on his listeners. Uh, we're going to read on Matthew chapter 25. Chronologically, there's a debate about when this happens, how, how this happens, but, but there really is no debate about what it means in terms of our attitude and our response to, to people around us. So um, 
one day Jesus is teaching. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 25. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. There's our, there's our keyword glory, if that's what you were looking for. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And, and let's be quick to take a note that immediately everybody in that culture would have known what he was talking about. Uh, we're like, we don't have sheep and we don't have goats. But if you are curious about diving more into this, it's a completely different message. But uh, just know that this parable is less about the separating of the sheep and the goats and more about identifying the king. But he goes on to say, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And if you're sitting and listening to this, you're thinking, wow, we're so blessed. How did this happen? What did we do to deserve this? Why is it that we have an inheritance in that kingdom? And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you why. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And they're like, do you remember doing that? I don't remember doing that. I must be sleepwalking. Okay. Um, I think this is my first time seeing him, but I could be wrong. And then Jesus goes on. I was thirsty and you gave him something to drink. I was like, no, I, I never did that. I don't remember doing that. He goes on. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Okay. I invited Jesus into my heart. That's the only invitation I remember giving, but that could work. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. Jesus, you can't get sick. And now I'm confused. How does, how does Jesus get sick? I was sick. Okay. He says, he says, I was sick and then you looked after me. And he goes on to say, I was in prison and you came to visit me. He broke the law now. We're thinking, well, okay, I visited God in church. I visited him in a cathedral. I don't remember going to a prison. And then he keeps going and he says that the righteous will answer. And they'll say, Lord, this is amazing. But when did we see you? This is what we are saying as we're, as we're hearing this. When did we see you? Was it that moment of worship, that time of prayer when I was reading the scripture? No, no th th those are great things. But let me ask you a question about all those things. If, if God is saying that it's more than that, well, Jason, you got the most out of those moments. You were the beneficiary. You should do all that stuff. But the essence of following me isn't simply about those gratifying moments for yourself. Jesus responded by saying, then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Jesus model centers on the you beside you. Your devotion to God is demonstrated and authenticated by your love for others. This is not a nice thought kind of love. This isn't a go to church on Sunday kind of love to just make it look good or exclusively just so that you can do that part. This is an active, generous, sacrificial love. Back to the story at the beginning. Did I mention that if you mistreated one of the Charles kids, that all of the singing, giving, generosity, and sucking up in the world wasn't probably going to make up for it? And did I mention that the best way to honor my mom really had nothing to do with her? That the most honoring thing that you could do for her was to do something for one of her kids? I think it's kind of like that. This is a love that demands much but can transform our world. What does love require of me? Genuine, genuine sacrifice. 
To honor God, I will love others. And the harder they are to love, the more honoring it is to my Father. We are the children of God. Our, our friends and family, our neighbors, we are called to love them with all that we have because to follow Jesus isn't to adhere to a set of rules. It's to love as Jesus loves. I hope your heart is convicted and you feel challenged to do just that today. Can you imagine what would happen in our families, in our communities, if we did just that? Can, can, can you imagine if we treated every interaction with that filter, that question, but what does love require of me? So today, don't try and do everything at once. Start with one thing. And let's see how we can truly be a church led by love. There's so much on my heart for our city and for our neighborhoods and for our neighbors. And it begins in this place of loving as Jesus loved. Understanding that when Jesus is saying, come follow me, he's saying, come love like me. Come live in the love that I've given to you so that you can learn to love in the way that I want to love the world. Let's pray together this morning and believe we can start with one thing one thing this week as we begin to step forward. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of that perfect love example, a love that is unconditional, a love that is generous, a love that is sacrificial. I pray right now, God, that you would convict our hearts in the areas where our selfish nature seems to run the show, where we make decisions that seem to be more focused on the me in the moment instead of how we can love others. I pray that our mindsets move beyond religious thinking and to a Jesus mindset, a Jesus consumed and passionate, purpose-driven, mission-focused life that is all about loving the world in the command that Jesus gave. So to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love others is just a gift that we have been given to, to walk in, to lean in, to, to learn from. And I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would guide the way. That your Holy Spirit would show us how we can do so in relationships that feel broken, in moments that feel mundane, in workplaces that feel beyond our reach. I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be all over every single person in their home, in their spaces, in, their, in the rooms that they're watching right now, that they would get inspiration of the one thing that they can do this week to begin to answer that question, what does love require? We believe that all things are possible through you. We place our hope and our trust in your unfailing love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.